Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. That washes us and purifies us, Lord, and redeems us and makes us whole again, allows us to come into the presence of the King of Kings, the Holy One, God Himself. What a joy it is that we can sing our praises unto you, Lord. What a joy that you have have redeemed us, you have saved us, you have cleansed us, Lord. Our sin left us stained with crimson. You have purified us, O God. What a joy. Thank you for your word, and thank you that we can open your word today to study it, Lord. I pray that we have come with the soil of our heart already tilled and prepared to receive what you would say through your word, Lord. I pray that our ears would be attentive, Lord, and that we could Block out the distractions of the week, Lord. Um, block, block out all the normal things of life and just set those aside and just come into your presence, Lord. We know that you're here. We gather in your name and you promise that you're here. And so may we give our whole attention unto you, Lord. Speak what you would speak to this church today, Lord. We ask your blessing upon us. We ask your favor upon us, Lord. We ask, Lord, that we would be an instrument in your hands to make an impact in our community. Lord, may we just keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Grab your Bibles if you would. Turn to 1 John chapter 1. We started the book 1 John last week. Remember, John is writing this as an old, old man. Twice the normal lifespan of the day, somewhere around 90 plus years old. Some would say close to 100 the average lifespan in that day and age was about 45, uh, and so uh, I'd be dead. Uh, you can all do your math, uh, but uh, um, if we lived the normal lifespan back in that day, John, twice as old as that, he's been Kentucky Fried, and he was uh, he survived that. Kentucky Fried John, I just think that's funny. <laughs> that needs to be a Christian band name. <laughs> We're going to work on that. Kentucky Fried John. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Kentucky Fried John. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't work. I don't know. He had been sentenced to the island of Patmos, where it was a, a, a small island that you could walk around in a matter of a few minutes. That had a cave that you could get some shelter from the weather uh, there in the middle of the, the sea, and, and, and sentenced to die there. He survived that as well. They're like, we just can't kill this guy. So he comes back. They kind of let him go. And he is the last known apostle alive. Everybody else has died. Peter, James, gone. Paul, gone at this point. John is the one that's left. And he wants to send a message to all the churches. And that's why this epistle is, is known as a general epistle. It's not directed to one specific church. He just writes a letter to say, these are the things I want you to know. Little children love one another. And that's the, the, the crux of his message uh, through the course of his life. John is the apostle, the disciple of love, wanting to make sure that we understand the currency of God's economy, and that is, in fact, love. He writes this epistle for four reasons. Uh, he tells us, I write these things so that, and we went over these last week, but just to review, in chapter 1, verse 4, he says, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. 
That's where we ended the message last week. We want to hold on, remembering that in Christ we have true joy. The, the idea of a um, disgruntled Christian, a Eeyore Christian, is an oxymoron. It's okay to get upset at times. It's okay to be sad at times. But our general walk with life, our general attitude toward life should be one of God is good. And, and he takes care of me. Yes, there are times that it's hard to pay the bills. But guess what? That won't be forever. The bills leave us <laughs> when we leave this earth. There, there are no problems you are experiencing here on earth that you will take eternally. All will be redeemed and restored. And so with that in mind, we can maintain that our joy may be full. We write these things to you that your joy may be full. The second reason he writes is chapter 2, verse 1, that we would have or live a holy life. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, and I love that title. I envision an old grandpa saying that. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. We should be devoted to God. He should be our priority, and we should be striving to live a sinless life, a holy life devoted unto Him. Now, none of us are without error, and we'll cover that today. But we sh that should be our goal. That should be what we're striving for. The third reason he writes this letter is in chapter 2, verse 26. He wants to protect the sheep. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Oh, I'm sorry, no. 2.26, these things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. There were Gnostics flooding the church with their false teaching, and he wants to set the wrong right. And so he wants to write these things for our protection, that we would stay true to the word of God. And the fourth reason is in chapter 5, verse 13, that all who would follow Christ would have assurance of eternity. Chapter 5, verse 13, these things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He writes these things as an assurance. If you are honest with me, if you're honest with yourself, at some point in your Christian faith, you said, is this real? <clears throat> are we all just playing a game? Is this whole Christianity thing real? John says, yeah, it is. I've walked it for 70 years, and I'm here to assure you, those who believe, you have eternal life. So those are the four reasons that he writes these letters. Just a reminder, we talked a little bit about fellowship, Lily, we put that slide up, uh, a little bit about fellowship last week, and we want to make sure we have an understanding, an understanding of the definition of fellowship. The word, word in Greek is koinonia, that's how you spell it, koinonia. The word koine, uh, some of you that have a little bit of knowledge about the original language, there was an aristocratic Greek that the aristocrats wrote, um, spoke, and then there was what was known as koine Greek. The word koine mean, means common, and so it was the, the language of the street. It's sort of like you our, our world today. We have the, you know, the language that's spoken in the towers downtown, and then you have the language of the street as well. It's the same idea, although anymore the language of the street is in the towers too, isn't it? <laughs> but the idea of koine, that means 
to have or to uh, the, the word koine means common. So the word koinonia is to have all things in common, fellowship. Think of the beginning of the church when the disciples there in Jerusalem sold everything they had. They brought the whole, all their their wares together, all their money together. They threw it all in one pot. We are sharing all things in common. It's the epitome of mikasa sukasa, right? My house is your house. You need a coat? I have a coat. Here, take my coat. You need time on a computer? I have a computer you can use. Here, take my computer. It's we hold on loosely to the things of this world so that others might be able to benefit from it. We love uh, one another well enough that we can share what we have. That's why you guys give to a church. It's because you, you love, you're well enough that you're willing to let go of some of what God has given you for the benefit of other people. We take those resources and we tithe off of them and we bless people with them and we pay our bills and it's, it's generosity. And so uh, that's what it is to be in fellowship. And what John is saying, if you think about it a little bit, is kind of mind-blowing. He says, we have fellowship with God. We have all things in common with God. Now, I know somebody could look at my life and go, you've got a lot of things that ain't in common with God, right? God is righteous, Chris. You're not so righteous. Yeah, but we're made righteous by His blood. So we have His righteousness in common with Him. Well, God is holy. You certainly don't walk a holy life, at least not all the time. Yeah, but we're made holy when we're cleansed by His blood, that we might stand before Him. Well, God is just, and I saw you cheat somebody. I saw you do this. I saw you have not lived a just life, Chris. Yeah, but we're, sacrifi or we're justified by the sacrifice of Jesus. So we have His justification. We are just in Him. We are justified. God has a will, and your will... Chris doesn't line up with God's will. I can testify to that at times. Yeah, but when we're found in Him, when we're fellowshipping with Him, we, like Jesus, would say, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we have His will. We fellowship with Him. We have all things in common with Him. In the Gospel of John, Jesus made a proclamation interesting where it comes. It's um, uh, at the end of the scene where the Pharisees bring in the adulterous woman. You remember the story? This woman has, has committed adultery and, because, and by the law of Moses she must be stoned. And Jesus, you remember what he does? He kneels down in the dirt and he begins to write in the sand. So everybody speculates about what he has written there. And, and some would speculate, and this is kind of what I believe, that he began to write, starting with the eldest and going to the youngest in the group, their name, and then began to write out some of their sins. And that's why you see people leaving. And right after that scene happens, he stands up and he says, not only to his disciples, but anybody that's left, and he says this in John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, 
but have the light of life. Jesus makes the proclamation, I am the light, and the light has been turned on as he's exposing the sin, perhaps, of these Pharisees in front of him who would want to try to trap him. He stands up and says, I am the light of the world. Hold on to that title as we continue to read in the epistle of 1 John. Verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John, perhaps thinking back on this scene, he would have been there with the, uh, the, the disciples would have seen the scene of the adulterous woman, perhaps thinking back on that some 50 years earlier, 60 years earlier maybe, 70 years earlier, probably 70 years earlier, John probably 15 when he started following Jesus. And he sees this whole scene go down and he remembers the proclamation of Jesus, I am the light of the world. And he writes now, hey, this is the message that we've heard from him. He said it. I am the light of the world. And now we are heralding it to you. We're declaring it unto you. This is our role in the position of the church is to declare the message of God. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There is no darkness in God. He is 100% light. Not 99, not 0.9% pure, like uh, Dove soap or whatever. Is it the Dove? Ivory soap. Yeah, it's, it's better than that. It's more pure than that. He is 100% light. It's like the noonday sun. If you ever stood outside, you, 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 know, you understand the concept of the shadow, depending on the angle, the length of the shadow is. When it's genuine, true noonday sun, you can stand there with your, the light right over your head, and there you cast no shadow because of the tilt of the earth, because of where we are in the earth, it's very difficult to accomplish because we only get like two and a half days of sun in Columbus, Ohio. Anyway, it's, it's very difficult to accomplish here. But in the perfect noonday sun, there is no shadow. In God, who is perfect all the time, there is no darkness at all. Jesus' stepbrother, James, says it this way. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. He is light, and in him there is no darkness. And when we connect with God through the gift of salvation, we come out of that darkness that we've been hiding in, and we now stand in that light. People have said I'm kind of in the shadow here. But we stand in the light. And when we stand in the light, some of the things that we held in darkness become exposed. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. Remember that word manifest we talked about last week? It's to make known what is unknown. And when we stand in the light, those things we held in the darkness become exposed. For whatever makes manifest is light. You and I, when we finally give our lives to Christ and we surrender holding on to the darkness and we choose to stand in the light, a new thing happens. It's called conviction. And perhaps you've tasted it a little bit before, just from 
knowing how your parents raised you and knowing that you went again, perhaps went against what your parents said, you experienced some conviction. But when we truly and genuinely stand in the light, there is what is known as the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Conviction is sin coming to the light. And he does that in our lives. We stand under conviction because he loves us. We need to wrap our minds around that. He's not looking to embarrass us because of our sin. He's not looking to condemn us because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He is looking to better us. Conviction comes because he loves us. And sin is not what's best for us. So we stand in the light and we experience conviction at times. We need to strive to live a holy life. When we get to chapter 2, verse 1, that's what we're going to read there. In striving for a holy life, we need to decide that sin is no longer our friend. Sin is our enemy, and we need to stand against it. We need to fight against it. There's a guy named Billy Sunday. What a great preacher name, right? Billy Sunday was a pretty wild guy, I guess. I, I don't know a whole lot about him, but a pretty wild speaker. He would get so excited at times that he would stand on his pulpit and shout. And, and if, he, if he was getting too far out of control, his wife, who I guess was about twice his size, would come and pull him off the pulpit and say, hey, hey, calm down. <laughs> Billy Sunday, I, I need to learn more about this guy. I, really, I like this guy already. He says this. You'll like this too. He says, listen. I'm against sin. I'll kick it as long as I've got a foot. I'll fight it as long as I have a fist. I'll butt it as long as I've got a head. I'll bite it as long as I've got a tooth. And when I'm old and fistless and footless and toothless, I'll gum it till I go home in glory. <laughs> That's the attitude we need to have against sin. We'll stand tooth and nail against it. We'll, we'll bite it, we'll kick it, we'll headbutt it until we can't do it anymore, and then when our teeth are gone, we'll gum it to death. I'll gum it till I go home to glory and it goes home to perdition. That's the attitude we need to have towards sin. In verse 6, he says, If we say that we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. One thing I want us to note there, John, the old apostle, is including himself. He hasn't come to anything at this point yet. He hasn't arrived in glory yet. And he says, if we say that we have sinned, John including himself, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, and the idea there of walking in darkness is it's in the perfect tense, and so the idea would be not that we stumble into the darkness occasionally making mistakes, but that we would continually and habitually walk in darkness. That's the idea. If we say that we have fellowship with him, koinonia, that we share all things in common, and we continually or habitually walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Listen, as followers of Christ, we fall. And there are times we make mistakes, and we can struggle. And in that, He is still our Father, 
But when we're walking in that darkness, we have to re realize we don't have fellowship with him in that moment. He cannot walk in darkness with us. If it's a habit to walk in darkness, if we practice habitual sin continuously, and probably the greater thing would be to excuse that or justify that sin, then we cannot claim that we have fellowship with Christ. That's what he's saying. Christian, this side of glory, you will not be perfect. You are perfected by his blood, but we will fall. Oswald Chambers said, Christian perfection is not perfection of performance, it's perfection of relationship. Christian perfection is not perfection of performance. We cannot maintain that perfect law. If we were able to, Christ wouldn't have had to come. But no man can. And so, it's not perfection of performance, it's perfection of relationship that we have a relationship with the Father. In Him there is no darkness. There never was. There never will be. He cannot have darkness. To add anything to the perfect is to make it imperfect. And there was the, in Him there is no darkness. Therefore, when we choose to walk in darkness, we are choosing to break fellowship with Him. We no longer have all things in common with Him because we have darkness. He does not. John contrasts that in verse 7. But, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we got a time out there. Because I can't read that and not think about DC Talk. <laughs> so we're going to listen to it. Oh, yes. <laughs> five, five minute timeout. That washes us and purifies us, Lord and redeems us and makes us whole again, allows us to come into the presence of the King of Kings, the Holy One, God Himself. What a joy it is that we can sing our praises unto You, Lord. What a joy that You have you have redeemed us, You have saved us, You have cleansed us, Lord. Our sin left us stained with crimson. You have purified us, O oh God. What a joy. Thank You for Your Word, and thank You that we can open Your Word today to study it, Lord. I pray that we have come with the soil of our heart already tilled and prepared to receive what you would say through your word, Lord. I pray that our ears would be attentive, Lord, and that we could block out the distractions of the weak, Lord. Um, block out all the that washes us and purifies us, Lord, and redeems us and makes us whole again, allows us to come into the presence of the King of Kings, the Holy One, God Himself. What a joy it is that we can sing our praises unto you, Lord. What a joy that you have, you have redeemed us, you have saved us, you have cleansed us, Lord. Our sin left us stained with crimson. You have purified us, O oh God. What a joy. Thank you for your word, and thank you that we can open your word today to study it, Lord. I pray that we have come with the soil of our heart already tilled and prepared to receive what you would say through your word, Lord. I pray that our ears would be attentive, Lord, and that we could block out the distractions that washes us, that washes us and purifies us, Lord, and redeems us and makes us whole again, allows us to come into the presence of the King of Kings, the Holy One, God Himself. 
What a joy it is that we can sing our praises unto you, Lord. What a joy that you have, you have redeemed us, you have saved us, you have cleansed us, Lord. Our sin left us stained with crimson. You have purified us, O oh God. What a joy. Thank you for your word, and thank you that we can open your word today to study it, Lord. I pray that we have come with the soil of our heart already tilled and prepared to receive what you would say through your word, Lord. I pray that our ears would be attentive, Lord, and that we could block out the distractions of the week, Lord. Um, block out all the normal things of life and just set those aside and just come into your presence, Lord. We know that you're here. We gather in your name and you promise that you're here. And so may we give our whole attention unto you, Lord. Speak what you would speak to this church today, Lord. We ask your blessing upon us. We ask your favor upon us, Lord. We ask, Lord, that we would be an instrument in your hands to make an impact in our community. And, Lord, may we just keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Grab your Bibles, if you would. Turn to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 5, where we left off. We finished verse 4 last week. Everybody doing well? Anybody need anything? Usually somebody says a million dollars. Didn't happen. We started the book First John last week. Remember, John is writing this as an old, old man. Twice the normal lifespan of the day, somewhere around 90 plus years old, some would say close to 100. The average lifespan in that day and age was about 45, uh, and so uh, I'd be dead. Uh, you can all do your math, uh, but uh, um, if we lived the normal lifespan back in that day, John, twice as old as that, he's been Kentucky Fried, and he, was, uh, he survived that. Kentucky Fried John, I just think that's funny. <laughs> that needs to be a Christian band name. <laughs> We're going to work on that. Kentucky Fried John. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Kentucky Fried John! <laughs> Maybe it doesn't work, I don't know. He had been sentenced to the island of Patmos, where it was a, a, a small island that you could walk around in a matter of a few minutes, that had a cave that you could get some shelter from the weather. Uh, there in the middle of the, the sea and, and, and sentenced to die there. He survived that as well. They're like, we just can't kill this guy. So he comes back. They kind of let him go. And he is the last known apostle alive. Everybody else has died. Peter, James, gone. Paul, gone at this point. John is the one that's left. And he wants to send a message to all the churches. And that's why this epistle is, is known as a general epistle. It's not directed to one specific church. He just writes a letter to say, these are the things I want you to know. Little children love one another. And that's the, the, the crux of his message. Uh, through the course of his life, John is the apostle, the disciple of love, wanting to make sure that we understand the currency of God's economy, and that is, in fact, love. He writes this epistle for four reasons. Uh, he tells us, I write these things so that, and we went over these last week, but just to review, in chapter 1, verse 4, he says, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. 
That's where we ended the message last week. We want to hold on, remembering that in Christ we have true joy. The, the idea of a um, disgruntled Christian, a Eeyore Christian, is an oxymoron. It's okay to get upset at times. It's okay to be sad at times. But our general walk with life, our general attitude toward life should be one of God is good. And, and he takes care of me. Yes, there are times that it's hard to pay the bills. But guess what? That won't be forever. The bills leave us <laughs> when we leave this earth. There, there are no problems you are experiencing here on earth that you will take eternally. All will be redeemed and restored. It is evil. I've been redeemed in the blood, and so I don't have a sin nature any longer. My flesh does, but I don't, would be the thought process behind it. The Gnostics would say that it was just their body sinning, and therefore we, I can't be held responsible by, for what my body does. John here is saying, no, though we're saved, we continue to fight the flesh. We continue to struggle with the sin nature so long as we walk in this world. The old man, while he has been sacrificed on the altar and we've been redeemed, we still carry him around. We still struggle. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Notice it doesn't say we deceive our friends because they know you're a sinner. It doesn't say we deceive our spouse because they know you're a sinner. <laughs> hey, we don't deceive our parents. We don't deceive our coworkers. We don't deceive anybody in the world. We don't deceive God. No fooling God on this if we say that we don't have sin. We're only deceiving ourselves. And it's rather to own up to the truth and stand in the light and allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to wash us and cleanse us and to help us overcome our sin. We say that we have no sin. No, I have a sin nature. That's humility is when we can agree with God on that. And say, Lord, I need your help. The man who doesn't know he's drowning has no idea he's in need of a Savior. Of a lifeguard. And then a verse we're very familiar with. If you're not, uh, don't have it highlighted yet, this is one that you can highlight. Verse John, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 8 said, if we have no sin, singular. Now He says, if we confess our sins, plural. If we confess those things that keep us from fellowshipping with him in the light, if we confess those things that hold, that we're holding on to in the darkness, that's how we come back into fellowship with him. It's confession that brings us back into fellowship with God. Underline that word confess. If we confess our sins. That word in the original language, Lily, is homologeo. Homologeo. And what it means is, homo means same as, legeo means to speak. And so, to homologeo, it has nothing to do with ego waffles. Lego my ego. 
so it's not that. To confess is to speak the same thing. To speak the same thing. If we confess, if we speak the same thing, in other words, if we hold the same view of sin that God holds of sin, that's what it is to confess. It's not that we hold the same, we speak the same thing because God is changing and He says what I say. You know, I'm going to justify this sin. It's okay for me to imbibe on Friday night because I'll have it out of my system come Sunday morning. Or, you know, and I can justify my sin in that way. No. It's when we say the same thing about sin that God says, and that is that sin separates us from Him, that's confession. It's agreeing with what God has already said about sin. Judas, we know how Judas ended his life. He betrays Jesus. He goes back and throws the 30 pieces of silver into the temple, and then he goes and hangs himself and his falls over, the tree falls over, something along those lines, his guts spill out. Kind of gross. Judas was sorry for what he had done, but he hadn't aligned himself, he hadn't confessed what he had done. He hadn't agreed with Jesus, with God, on what he had done. And so, while he was sorry, he was unrepentant. He hadn't confessed. Peter, on the other hand, denied Jesus three times. <laughs> Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. I would never do that. Peter, it, like hours later, the rooster crows. Peter, sorry for what he had done. Same as Judas, but confesses. Brings what he understands of what happened in line with what Jesus said would happen to speak the same thing and fellowship is restored he's brought back there's a legend some would most would say that this is debunked by now have you heard the story of Martin Luther and the inkwell perhaps one version of the story is that as he was writing out various different things um, that a demon, Satan, came and visited him and began to accuse him. Most would say it was Satan that came, the accuser of the brethren, would came and accuse him. And as the devil was accusing Martin Luther, he began to write the, the things down that the, the accuser was saying. You know, well, you, you've done this, you lied. Yeah, yep, I agree. You've cheated. Yep, I agree. You've, you've stolen. You've done these things. And he begins to write all, all, out everything that Satan is saying. And then, as Satan finally gets exhausted, he exhausts his list of everything that Martin Luther has ever done. Martin Luther, on the bottom of the page, writes, washed in the blood of the Lamb, and throws his inkwell at the devil. And that's why there's a stain on the wall where he worked. That's how the legend goes, definitely. It's not that we stand in our own defense against the accuser of the brethren. It's that we would confess, yeah, I have done those things. I am a sinner. I'm a chief of sinners. I've, I've done wrong. I've committed sin. I've, I've done these things. I agree with what's, what God says about what sin is. And then we say we're washed and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. That's what verse 9 says. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins. If we agree with what He says, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I didn't write this one down, but the word cleanse there, if you want to underline that as well, is the word catharizo. K-A-T-H-A-R-I-Z-O. Catharizo. From which we could probably infer, we would probably get the word catheter from. Those of you that know what a catheter is, it's a cleanser. <laughs> to insert something, ouch, to insert something to remove the toxins that we cannot remove on our own. Catheterizing. To insert something to remove the toxins that we cannot remove on our own. Specifically, catharizo was used of a leper when he was cleansed by curing. That's catharizo, to cleanse a leper. Guess what? There's no cure for leprosy. Still no cure for leprosy. So they created a word that they would never be able to use in the hopes that it might be able to be used. But when you understand leprosy and how it represents sin in the Bible, and we are washed and cleansed by his blood, we are catharizo, we're cleansed in the same way. We, he, something has been inserted to remove the toxins that we cannot remove on our own. And that, in fact, is Jesus' blood. He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all, how much does that mean? All, all, all means all, that's all all means. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. In his justice, and we got to remember, his justice is Jesus on the cross. In God's justice, Jesus on the cross, you and I are completely cleansed. And it's only in that complete cleansing that we have koinonia, fellowship, with God, because he cannot look upon sin. I was listening to something, a song that we used to sing quite a bit yesterday, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. How vast beyond all measure that he would take his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Right? But there's a line in there, um, Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath had brought me life. I know that it is finished. That's not the line I'm looking for. At one point it says, the Father turned his face away. Powerful imagery there. The Father cannot look upon sin. Jesus became sin on our behalf. He offered his, the most potent cleansing agent available, his blood, that we might walk in the light with him, that we might have fellowship with him. In his justice, Jesus on the cross, that we are completely cleansed. And it is only through that complete cleansing that we could have fellowship with God. And to finish out the chapter, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And the word is not in us. In other words, if we don't confess, if we don't hold the same view of sin as God, then our fellowship with Him is broken because He's in the light and we're not in the light. And He cannot walk in darkness. 
if we're so arrogant to say that we've never sinned, we're calling God a liar. Because his word would clearly say, all have sinned. All walk in darkness. All are in need of a Savior. All need to come to the light. And Christ made a way for us to come to the light through the shedding of his blood. That we would be forgiven of our sin. That we might be cleansed and made whole. And when we received, when we received the gift of salvation, we then have koinonia. We share all things in common with God. So then Jesus, who is the light of the world, remember that's where we started. Jesus, who is the light of the world, then says this about you and I. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Now that we share all things in common, now that we have uh, been brought into the light as he is in the light, you are the light of the world, is what he says. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And then a verse we're familiar with, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We started today by saying, Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. And then if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He takes us out of the darkness and we walk with him in the light. We have all things in common with him. We share fellowship with him. And in that, then, as he is the light of the world, we are also the light of the world. Don't hide your light like my white undershirt under my black shirt. Don't hide it. Don't put your lamp under a bushel, a basket. But let everybody see your good works that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. So that's how we're to walk in this world. Everything making sense? Am I tracking? Everybody tracking? We have Koinonia because he is in the light and we are in the light. We are cleansed by his blood. That's the overarching theme of today. Let's stand. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy poured out through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are just, but also the justifier, that you set the wrong right within us. We thank you that you purify us and make us whole. We thank you for the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins. We thank you that we can walk with you in the light, Lord. And we know that as we walk in the light, conviction may come that we need to confess our sin that we do agree with what you would say about that sin, how it separates us from you. And our heart's desire would be that we would rid ourselves of that, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That we might fellowship with you all the more. And that we might be a light unto this world. Father, there are many, so many more that need to see that they have, are drowning and that they need a Savior. That they're walking in darkness when they could be in the light. Help us to we'll go forward in love, Lord, sharing that gospel message. We pray it in Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless. Thank you.